with me please to Luke chapter 18. A second look at this uh, passage, Luke 18, verse 18 to, to 30. Let's pray. Father, we've just sung, I want you more than gold or silver. Only you can satisfy. So please, Father, we ask, may you be present among us in the spirit of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, that we, we would know what it is to hear you speaking to us, to have you speak not only into our minds, but into our hearts, our affections, to change our will. Help us, help us to submit to your words, not to stand in judgment over it, but to place ourselves under it. For there we find true liberty. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, about 13 years ago, 2008, at the time the banks were collapsing around the world, there was a run on the Northern Rock Bank here in Britain, which was the first bank to fail in 150 years. <clears throat> and the Royal Bank of Scotland came within a few hours of complete collapse. At that time, it was the biggest bank in the world. And Fred Goodwin turned up at Alistair Darling's doorstep in Edinburgh and told him in a few hours' time, the Royal Bank is going bust. At that time, I had a few shares in the Alliance in Leicester. I did not buy them, but because I'd had a mortgage with the Alliance and Leicester Building Society, when it demutualized, when it became a bank rather than a building society, they gave everybody with an account, a mortgage with the Alliance and Leicester, got either a hundred, I think it was 150 shares. So that was a gift from the Alliance and Leicester. And every year these shares would pay out £20, £30, Maybe sometimes even £50 a year. Vast sum. Not to be sniffed at. But it was hardly, uh, it was hardly like, you know, it was hardly going to put me into the world's richest list. Let's put it like that. But when 2008 happened and the share price went down, I found myself starting to watch the share price every day. And then I said to myself, James, this is ridiculous. <laughs> so I sold them. And you might say, well, you sold them. You sold them before they would hit rock bottom, James. And th there might have been a little bit of that. They were going down and down. But I think I can say as, as honest as a human heart can be that I sold them because I recognized it was becoming an idolatrous thing. It wasn't so much that I had the shares, but the shares had me. And I was beginning to watch not just once a day, but twice a day. It was stupid. So I sold them. And we saw last week how, <coughs> excuse me, the rich young man, and we know he's young from Matthew's gospel, was not so much that he had possessions, but that his possessions had him. So Jesus, we're starting here at verse 22, Jesus says to him, you still lack one thing. Remember the man has come to ask what he must do to have eternal life. And Jesus has quoted the commandments to him. And the man says, with great lack of insight into either the holiness of God or his own heart, says he's kept all these commandments. And Jesus says, you still lack one thing. Despite all your outward morality and all your wealth, you still lack one thing. Still sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure 
in heaven. Then come, follow me. And when he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. And I think we mentioned this last week. You know, why doesn't Jesus say to him when he asks, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why why doesn't he say to him, repent and believe in me and you will have eternal life. You will enter the kingdom of God. Well, that is in fact exactly what Jesus is saying to him. Repent, turn away from the worshipping of the false God of money and things and put your trust in me. Sell all your possessions, give to the poor, Trust me for this life and the life to come. Stop trusting in your earthly treasure, which is so uncertain and cannot save you or give you eternal life. Put your trust in me and you will have treasure in heaven. Become like a little child. For truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And as we saw last week, a little child is completely dependent on others for everything. A little child is the opposite of self-sufficiency. A little child will hold out empty hands to receive what it is you want to give them. Now at this point in this passage, after we read these words of Jesus to the young man to sell everything he has, at this point it is usual or customary for the preacher or the Bible study leader or whoever to say something like this. Of course, Jesus is not calling all of us to sell everything we have. No, 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 no. This was a specific command to a specific individual who was enslaved to a particular idolatry. And therefore, of course, breaking the first command, you shall have no other gods before me. Well, I think we sometimes say that too quickly. I think if we're honest, we are keen to water down the challenge of Jesus' words. Because elsewhere in this same gospel, in Luke chapter 12, verse 33, Jesus says to the disciples, to all of them, sell your possessions and give to the poor. Ah, yes, you might say, but he didn't say sell all your possessions. No, no, he didn't. He didn't. But he did say, and turn with me please to Luke 12, verse 29. He did say, Luke 12, verse 29. Do not set your heart, do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after all such things and your father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out. A treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, if we're honest, most of us here are materially rich compared with many millions across this world and indeed with some within our own country. If you have a book, if you have a book, you are rich in the eyes of many. If you have a pair of shoes, two pairs of shoes, you are rich. 
If you have curtains on your window, you are rich. Now, my point is not to make a virtue out of being poor, because the poor can be just as materialistic as the rich. And nor is it to try and induce middle class guilt. That's not my aim. But it is to take seriously the warning of Jesus that where our treasure is, there our heart will be also. And if you want to know where your heart is in relation to your money and things, you can do a thought experiment. How would you feel and how would I feel if Jesus said to you and to me what he said to the rich ruler? How would you feel? How would I feel if Jesus said to us, sell everything you have and give to the poor? We sang earlier in the service, all for Jesus, all I am and have and ever hope to be. Do you and I love Jesus and trust him as the one who is good, not just a good teacher, but one who is good with the goodness of God, the Father who knows what we need, who has been pleased to give us the kingdom? Jesus warns us time and again in the Gospels. How often does Jesus speak about money and things, of the danger of putting Money and things which are good gifts from God, but putting them in the wrong place, in the God place, the place reserved for God alone. Jesus warns us time and again of the danger of our hearts being captivated by a treasure which does not last and cannot save. There are no pockets in a shroud. When a rich man dies and people ask, how much did he leave? The answer is always everything. All of it. I just read this morning uh, the book of daily readings from the Church Fathers that was edited and compiled by Nick Needham here in Inverness. Today's reading was from Jerome. Jerome lived at the end of the 4th century into the beginning of the 5th century. He was the man who translated the whole Bible, uh, the, the Old Testament from Hebrew and the New Testament from Greek into Latin the Vulgate Bible, which was used by the church in the West for about a thousand years till the time of the Reformation. And Jerome says this in today's reading, your good things are no longer your own. If we are Christians today, the good things that we enjoy, and God wants us to enjoy them, but they're no longer our own. They are a trust which God has delegated to you. All I am and have and ever hope to be. So Jesus, verse 24, back in Luke 18, Luke 18, 24, Jesus looked at the rich man and said, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. How hard is it? It is impossible. It is impossible. It's impossible for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. And don't, don't be fooled by stories you might have heard about the needle being a small door and a big door. That's, that's not, there's no evidence of that ever being the case. That was a later theory dreamt up by someone. 
Jesus is saying it's impossible. You might say, and you'd be right to say, it's impossible for anyone, rich or poor, to enter the kingdom of God apart from the grace of God. Yes, that is true. But Jesus does not say here how hard it is for the poor to enter the kingdom of God. What he says is how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. And it is a testimony of Scripture as well as that of our own experience that as J.C. Ryle has said, grace and riches seldom go together. Not never, but seldom. Grace and riches seldom go together. Why is that? Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards, writes Paul in 1 Corinthians 1. Not many of you were influential. Not many were of noble birth. These would have been people who would have had resources. But God chose, God chose the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of this world to shame the strong. Well, back to Luke 18, the disciples are astonished at what Jesus has just said. If someone who has been blessed by God, apparently so much like the rich young man was in their eyes, if someone who has been so blessed by God apparently cannot easily enter the kingdom of God, verse 26, who then can be saved? If not him, who? Then Jesus replied in verse 27, what is impossible with man is possible with God. Yes, even for the rich. What is impossible with man is possible with God. Here is the ground of our hope for those who are not yet Christians, whatever their bank balance. Here is the ground of our hope that what is impossible with man is possible with God because salvation is from the Lord. Always. Salvation is from the Lord. Because by God's grace it is possible for even a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And in the very next chapter, Luke 19, what do we have but the story of Zacchaeus? And the grace that turned his life around, the grace that made him a son of Abraham, and he gave half of his possessions to the poor and gave away fourfold the amount of money that he had cheated. By God's grace it is possible for us to give up everything we have to follow Jesus. Which is what good old Peter says in verse 28, isn't it? Don't you just love Peter? He just comes out of it. We have left everything we had to follow you. And Jesus says to Peter, in fact, he says to all of them, verse 29. I wonder how you would sum up 29 and 30. Peter and all of you, you will never make a debtor out of God. You will never make a debtor out of God. Truly I tell you, Jesus said to them, no one who has left home or wife or brothers or sisters or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come eternal life. Truly, I tell you, when Jesus says that, that's a clue to pay attention. This is something important. Pay attention. Truly, I tell you. Get a grasp of this. And notice 
Get a grasp of the, of the wideness of this promise. Get a grasp of its wideness. Truly I tell you, no one, no one who has given up anything for me and the gospel and the kingdom of God will fail to receive. No one. This is a promise for every believer without exception. It's a promise for the Muslim who's been kicked out of their family and worse, put under death threats because they're following Jesus. It's a promise for the Hindu convert who's been banned from using the village water supply in India because they're following Jesus. It's a promise for the young lad from Northern Ireland who was at the conference this week, Northern Ireland. It's a promise for the young lad from Northern Ireland who was converted and whose father used to lock him in his room and take away the car key so that he could not go to church on a Sunday. This promise is wide. It's for all believers. No one, says Jesus, who has left or given up anything for me will fail to receive. But not just the wideness of the promise. Get a grasp of the richness of this promise. No one will fail to receive many times as much, many times as much, what in the age to come, not just in the age to come, in this world, in this time. And in the age to come, eternal life. God's gifts far outweigh anything, anything we are called to give up for him, both in this life and in the life to come. That is the word of God. That is the promise of Christ. And I don't say that lightly because the truth is we are called to give up everything to him. Or we may not be called to sell everything, but we are called to hand over everything to God, to recognize that we hold it in trust, as Jerome said. We are called to, hold it, we're called to hand over everything, even our very selves. Is that not what it means to take up our cross to follow Jesus? To give up everything? But even though I don't say it lightly, that God's gifts outweigh anything we give up for him, I do say it because God has said it. Truly I tell you, no one, no one who's given up anything, however precious for me, for the sake of the kingdom of God, for the sake of the gospel, will fail to receive many times as much in this age, in this life, and in the age to come, eternal life. And for those who go through the pain of being cut off from their earthly family, there is a bigger family waiting to welcome them in this life and in the life to come. For those who have left home behind because of a particular call or service, they will find that they have many homes here and a home with Christ in the age to come. For those who have given up money and career for the sake of the kingdom of God, God has promised that he will meet all our needs out of the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. And certainly our testimony as a family and I'm not saying this was a huge sacrifice in any way. It was not compared to what other people have had to endure for the gospel. But the, the time back in 2011 when 
I resigned from the Church of Scotland, not knowing at that time where we were going. I can truly say that God has provided over and over and over again, and we have not lacked for anything. And I think of the Rileys, I should have mentioned it in our prayers of intercession of Karen and, and, and Matthew. The promise is still true for them. Yes, they gave up everything here in the UK to go and work in Malawi. They were planning to be there for the long term. And now they've had to leave everything that they had invested in Malawi behind to come back to the UK, not their own choosing. And here's the question, is the promise still true for them? It is. Because it is God's word. It's not my word. It is the word of God, the Father who loves them, the Father who's been pleased to give them the kingdom, the Father who knows what they need, has promised that they will receive many times as much in this age as well as eternal life in the age to come. Now the question is, in these last few minutes, the question is, do we trust the goodness of God? Do we trust the goodness of God? Do we trust the goodness of God as revealed in Jesus Christ? Because the rich ruler clearly didn't. Despite calling Jesus good. For if he really believed Jesus to be a good teacher, he would have done what the good teacher told him to do. The start of this passage, which we looked at last week, you know Jesus quoted the commandments. How were the commandments given to the people of Israel? They were given to them after they had been rescued from slavery in Egypt. They were given the Ten Commandments by the Covenant Lord, the God who had brought them up out of Egypt, up out of the land of slavery. Therefore, since I have rescued you, since I have redeemed me, redeemed you, therefore you shall have no other gods before me. So the good command comes out of the mouth of a good God after he had rescued his people from slavery in Egypt because of his goodness and grace. The commands come from the mouth of a merciful redeemer. Now grasp that the commands of God come from the mouth of a merciful redeemer. I've told you before and I hope you remember when a Jew, when you ask a Jew to recite the Ten Commandments, he will not start off or she will not start off saying, you shall have no other gods before me. He or she will start off saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt, up out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. The call to obedience comes in the context of grace, redeeming grace. And in the same way, the call from Jesus for us to take up our cross and follow him is a command that comes from the same merciful God who is our Redeemer, the same good and gracious God who has come to us in Jesus Christ, not to rescue us from the land of slavery in Egypt, but from slavery to sin and to Satan and to death. This is the goodness and grace of a God who calls us to give up our lives for him and, yes, our things. Because in Jesus Christ, he has given up his life for us. C.T. Studd, cricketer and pioneer, founder of WEC, am I correct? C.T. Studd, if Jesus Christ be God and died for me, 
then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him. If Jesus Christ be God and died for me, then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him. Not least because of the promise here that those who do give up everything for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive. They will not fail to receive as many times as much in this age and the age to come. We quoted this verse last week and I just finished by quoting it again. We know the grace. What does Paul say? You know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sakes, for our sakes, he became poor so that through his poverty we might become rich. How did the Lord Jesus become poor? Well, the next verses in Luke 18 tell us. They tell us of his suffering and his death, the mocking, the insulting, the spitting, the flogging and the killing. They tell us of the poverty of the one who willingly impoverished himself. The one who, though he was equal with God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, impoverished himself, emptied himself of all but love. Taking the form of a servant, being found in the likeness of man and being found in human form, he humbled himself to becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Emptied himself of all but love and bled for Adam's helpless race. So that you and I might have treasure in heaven. The gift of eternal life which is ours in Christ here and now, the riches of Christ himself in whom are hidden all the treasures, all the treasures of true wisdom and knowledge. Friends, all the blessings of the gospel are found in Jesus Christ. All the riches of the gospel, all the treasures of the gospel. So make sure, boys and girls, make sure you make a wise investment Make sure you make a wise investment. And if you don't know what that word means, ask your mum and dad when you get home. Make sure you make a wise investment in Jesus Christ. For that is the only investment that guarantees a sure return in this age and in the age to come, eternal life. Amen. Let's pray. Father, how we bless you again for the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, who though he was rich with the splendor and glory of heaven, yet for our sakes became poor, so that we through his poverty might become rich. Father, we thank you that through Christ you have been pleased to give us the kingdom. Forgive us, Father, whenever we doubt your goodness. Forgive us whenever we doubt your sufficiency. Forgive us whenever we doubt your power, forgetting that what is impossible with man is possible with you. Help us to trust you. Help us to trust you with our lives. Help us to trust you with our families. Help us to trust you with our careers. Help us to trust you with our bank balances. Help us to trust you for our food and clothing and shelter. Help us to trust you in our young age. Help us to trust you in our middle age. Help us to trust you in our old age. 
that you love us as a father with an everlasting love. In Jesus' name, amen.